Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on? Not much, Bill. It is a lovely, lovely day. Penn State is 3-0 and with, I would say, one of the best resumes in the country. And if you would have told me that was the case um, when the season started, I may have called you a liar. But here we are, and I am absolutely thrilled about it. Yeah, man, I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about this specific thing. Like I uh, I went back actually after I finished watching the game today, rewatching the game today. Uh, and I went back and listened to the pod that we did three games into last season. And the third game of last season was Penn State getting embarrassed by Maryland. And I only listened to the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes, but like we called Penn State the most disappointing team in the country. We talked about Sean Clifford just being a fundamentally broken football player, about this defense being so flawed, about, you know, Jahan Dotson looks great, but if only there was someone who could get him the ball, like the running backs, everybody's hurt, blah, blah, blah. Like there's just the malaise about this team. And it's so funny, Matt, because. After this week, I can't feel any more different. I feel like we, you know, this might be talking during a no-hitter. I know Villanova is going to be about as tricky of a test as an FCS team could be. But, like, right now, it just feels like there's something special going on. This is, I think, the beauty about college football this year. And um, I was listening to Split Zone Duo. I think it was their Patreon show. Um, So I won't, like, disclose information that they talked about there out of respect for them but this really does feel like you're feeling the 2020 effects in 2021 and because of how well Penn State handled 2020 they played all of their games and it shows because they are not making mistakes while everybody else around the country is making mistakes and listen this team's not going to run the table I, I that may be loser energy from me but it's really hard to do that. And the longer you can go without occurring that loss or the longer you can go building that resume without that loss, the more people are going to talk about you. And a lot of people are going to be talking about Penn State the next few weeks. And and that's a great spot to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing Penn State get like, you know, early days and all that. But we're seeing Penn State get mentioned as a potential playoff team. We're seeing Penn State get mentioned as like. A not, team not mentioned, like put in the playoff right, by some exactly. people in their bowl projections. This is this is a level we haven't seen ever. Like maybe at the beginning of 2017, but they took a loss, I think, in October, pretty early there, and that still could happen here for Penn State. But every team on the schedule looks vulnerable. There's no buzzsaw, and and that's I think is what has people so excited and has me so excited right now. Exactly. And of course, we're talking about that in the aftermath of Penn State's uh, 28 to 20 win over Auburn in Beaver Stadium uh, to move the team to three and zero on uh, the season. Again, early days in college football. But as of right now, Penn State ranked number six in the AP top 25, having jumped up four spots following the win. They are currently the second highest ranked team in the Big Ten behind only fifth ranked Iowa, uh, ahead of Ohio State, ahead of Michigan, ahead of Michigan State. Like this is a lot of good stuff is happening right now, Matt. Um, 
I think the place I want to start even before we talk about the specifics is just, man, what a football game that was. The atmosphere looked unreal. And shout out to all of you who went to the game. It looked like a, a grand old time. And in a primetime game, and I, I saw the um, the ratings were released a couple hours ago, but I don't have them offhand. But a lot of people watched this football game, and it was a great showing for Penn State as a program. And, and I am so, so, so happy they were able to get that big win in primetime. Um, and just shout out to Auburn. Great game. I'm excited for the game next year already. But, man, this this may have been one of the most fun games I've watched in a long, long, long time. It, it was the thing that, you know, I think Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler both mentioned a few times, like this kind of game is a bit of a relic. Like SEC teams don't come up North all that often. Big 10 teams don't head South all that often. Like this is something that is increasingly we're losing it in college football. Like most years, the teams that have the potential to make the playoff, there's not that much incentive to schedule this kind of game. You want to go 3-0, 4-0 in your non-conference and beat up on cupcakes. You want the toughest team that you play to be, you know, the ninth best team in the ACC or the fourth best team in, uh, in the MAC or something like that. You don't want to tell another blue chip program, come to our place. And this is what happens when you get that. You don't just get the game. You get the pageantry. You get the environment. You get the attention. Auburn, despite losing this game, I think has come out looking better because they got to say they were a part of something that special. And that's what makes you know the win, I think, all the more fun for Penn State. It's that like... Matt, there was just something intangible about it. Like at a certain point for me, uh, just like a light bulb went over my head and I went, oh, we're watching something special. We're watching a game that we're going to be talking about for a while. This is just, this was fantastic. This was what I think when we talk about college football, we imagine. Look, the point of college football, I, I have long said, is not to win national titles. Um, or else Ball State and Alabama would not technically uh, be competing for the same trophy at the end of the year. The point is to win as many games as you can in the regular season, and then whatever happens, happens. And as far as regular season wins go, this is one of the best and most fun we've had in a long, long, long time. Like the idea that I'm going to go back um, next April, when I am very bored looking for Penn State football content, I will go back and watch the highlights from this game. Tells me how special it is because there's a lot of regular season games that I feel like are lacking meaning, and that wasn't what this was. This was, for all intents and purposes, a playoff atmosphere because at the college level, every regular season game can be viewed as a playoff game. And Penn State came out there and delivered with a playoff atmosphere and a playoff performance. So I am very curious to see what the hangover looks like against Villanova. Whoever scheduled Villanova after Auburn, I don't know why you did that. Um, but I, I'm still just trying to enjoy this as much as I can. And I'm sure, you know, like the rest of you, my brain will start flipping over to the next game here in the next couple of days. But 
I, I'm just absolutely beaming that this team was able to get this kind of win. This win felt like it was happened by more than eight points. Um, and, and if Brandon Smith picks off that ball, this win probably happens by more than eight points. Um, yeah. But it was just, just, yeah, what, what a great game. What a great atmosphere. This is what college football is all about. This is what makes it the best sport in the world for me. And I am, I am just so excited to see what this team and that town and that atmosphere brings in two weeks when they host Indiana uh, under the lights for the stripe out. Yeah, the Indiana game, like we were talking about it with some friends and like they were going, well, why the hell are they putting Indiana at night? That's a little weird. And I was like, no, this is what happens when you're a big time program. You just get random night games. Like it's it's like how every once in a while there will be like, you know, a, an LSU Mississippi State game that's on at night for no particular reason. But, uh, you know, before we start talking about the game, you know, we talked about the environment a bit. I just want to give uh, a trio of shout outs before we actually start talking about the football uh, first one, obviously, was to everyone who was at that game. I mean, that environment, it seemed special. It seemed like everyone had a blast. Uh, Penn State fans, Auburn fans, especially. I thought Auburn fans, uh, it, it looked cool having like yeah, little they, pockets. They traveled well. Yeah. They having traveled like really well. The little pockets of orange in the whiteout. Like just something looked really cool about that. I can't like quite put my finger on what it is, but it was uh, that was cool to see. Uh, two, uh, I want to give a shout out to, uh, the Penn state alumni association chapter, uh, in Boston, they have watch parties at a bar called greatest bar, uh, which is right across the street from where the Boston Celtics and, uh, the Boston Bruins play. Uh, if you hear my really called greatest bar, it's called greatest bar. It is four stories. (laughs) Every story was packed with Penn state fans. Uh, it was an awesome environment. Shout out to them. Uh, it, I sound a little bit weird because um, if any of you have ever watched a football game with me, uh, I don't know what the limit is on what a human should stop screaming. Uh, so I did a lot of that. Uh, and then three, uh, I want to give a shout out to the fine folks at the Worldwide Leader in Sports uh, because I am sure James Franklin, it, like he and Penn State's graphics department have like, 18 months worth of stuff they can work with now just from ESPN. Like, have you ever in your life heard announcers talk about how much they love a thing they are watching, Matt, than Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit were with the whiteout? No, they're, they're great. And that comes from the <laughs> connection they have, they have to that, to that program in that town. And, and that's something Penn state um, is very lucky to have. Um, and should always gladly welcome them back with open arms anytime they want to come back. Yeah, my my assumption is that in a few weeks we're getting uh we're we're going to be the uh Sean McDonough and uh, Todd Blackledge game, but uh, neither here nor there. Let's talk about this football game. Penn State twenty eight, Auburn twenty. Um, Matt, I just I, like I don't want to talk so much chronologically. I don't want to talk about anything quite like that. What I want to just do is I want to talk about Penn State's offense. I want to talk about Penn State's defense. And I want to dive into a few more things after that. But let's start by talking about Penn State's offense. Um, I think that this was the most in control that Penn State's offense has seen since the Joe Moorhead era. I think this was... This was the kind of game that Mike Yursich is going to have a feather in his cap for quite a while because 
I don't know if he could have called a much better game. Uh, there's one or two little things I think we can nitpick, but I think that was just an outstanding performance top to bottom by Penn State's offense. Absolutely. And, and I'm going to go on ahead and I'm going to highlight something that I highlighted for the film study this week, which should be out um, today when you're listening to this September 21st um, or either Wednesday the 22nd. I don't know when it's going to go up yet, but this was, in my opinion, the best I've ever seen an offensive coordinator use tight ends. The best game plan I've ever seen, like better than what O'Brien used to do, in my humble opinion. The way they used Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren was absolutely unbelievable. You highlighted a play on Twitter. I'll let you explain it because it's ridiculous how fun it is. But this was an absolute mastermind of a game plan. And considering how little we really saw from Auburn, this just speaks volumes about the kind of coach Mike Yersich is and what he's going to have for like Iowa and like Ohio State. And I am so excited. This was absolutely un- the only blemish you can have is the run game wasn't great 2.5 yards per carry whatever you didn't need to do that and Clifford's pick which was really a punt if you think about it like that yeah but this was a master class in offensive play calling and Penn State is very 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 fortunate to have Mike Yurcich at the helm I I could not have been more impressed than I was on Saturday night I'm inclined to agree. I mean, like the obvious thing everyone's going to point to is Sean Clifford, 28 for 32, 280 yards, pair of scores. And like you mentioned, a pick that was, uh, you know, like I I don't I don't think there are any Penn State fans who are particularly like devastated by that pick uh, just because of the circumstances under which it happened. But, you know, it'd be really funny if that's the only pick this season, if that's the only blemish. It won't happen. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine if it did. That would be so funny. Well, I mean, they well, y'all will see this in the passing chart this week, but Mike Yurisich has done a really nice job. Uh, he's done a really nice job convincing Sean Clifford that whatever thing was in his brain in the last couple of years, where he felt like he had to save the day when things get a little bit too hectic, that he should just not listen to that voice. And I think we got a few really good examples of that here. There were some moments in this game where Auburn brought pressure, uh, either brought pressure or their three, uh, you know, their three, four guys that were rushing with able were able to get through Penn State's line. And Clifford stayed composed. He kept his head up, was able to, you know, dip out of the pocket a little bit, extend a play and find a guy. And he just never seemed too particularly worried. Uh, I think we will talk about Clifford in a bit, but I want to talk about the passing game just kind of holistically, Matt. And you mentioned the way that the tight ends were used. The trio of players, uh, Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren. I'm not going to ask you to give away all of what you wrote, but could you just kind of paint in broad strokes what Mike Yurcich was doing with that trio of players that impressed you, impressed me, and I think impressed a lot of Penn State fans? Yeah, he he set things up early in the game that paid off later in the game. 
Um, for example, Theo Johnson had one catch for 37 yards, and that came out of a stack look with two tight ends. And when you go stack with two tight ends, you're thinking screen if you're a defensive back when you have Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington as the bottom guys in a stack. And instead of that, they sent all four out on routes. And in the case of Theo Johnson, both guys or both defensive backs thought, I am going to go with Jahan Dotson because he is very good. And they just let Theo Johnson run behind them. And he caught it and he rumbled his way basically to the goal line. Um, another great example. Well, well probably... can, I, can I actually uh, interrupt you real quick, Matt? Because yeah, there sure was me. something about that play I want to mention. Uh, at halftime, James Franklin praised the way Penn State was playing complementary football. He was praising the way that the the running game was opening things up for the passing game, passing game brought things up for the running game, and vice versa. And something that happened on that particular play was like you mentioned, the way that they were lining up. Dio Johnson at the line of scrimmage, Jahan Dotson almost directly behind him. That was a look that Penn State had thrown out a lot over the previous two weeks and in the lead up to that play. And both of Auburn's defensive backs read that as screen. Like the way that Penn State, the way that Mike Yersich called his offense for two weeks and change leading up to that point set them up for that moment. And there were a lot of examples of that, of Penn State had done this, Penn State had done this, Penn State had done this. Auburn goes, oh, we recognize that. And then Penn State goes, no, you didn't. And that was a really good example of that. It was just a really good example of Mike Yursich making Auburn think they saw something and then doing something off of that that went for a big play. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then do you want to do you want to break down the Caden Wallace play or should I? Because I saw I, I rewatched it a thousand times um, and you did a great job in, in your uh, in your Twitter little thread there. Do you want to take it or do you want me to take it? Basically, what ended up happening was and, and this was something that uh, this was something that we had, you know, a few people had mentioned to me on Twitter after I posted it that like Gus Malzahn did this a decent amount at Auburn. Like the Patriots did this once. Uh, against the Ravens, and it led to John Harbaugh losing his mind pretty pretty famously. Uh, but it was on the heels of a big play uh, by a, a big passing play, I believe, to John Lovett, who is someone I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. But Penn State does that, and then just kind of in the craziness after that, they get lined up with a very interesting uh, formation, to say the least. Two at the top. Uh, two on one side of the line in terms of skill position. Got two guys at the top, three guys on the bottom, and then five men on the line of scrimmage. But the way it was on the line of scrimmage was Brenton Strange. Uh, it was Brenton Strange, Rashid Walker, and then uh, Mike Miranda at center, Eric Wilson, Caden Wallace, left to right. What Penn State did was split out wide was Caden, uh, right guard, sorry, it was uh, Juice Scruggs, who was lined up at the very end of that. Uh, play. Caden Wallace was split out wide, but because he was on the line of scrimmage and he was in a stance and he wasn't going downfield, he was still an offensive lineman. He was just an offensive lineman who was playing 10 feet off of the line and Strange was eligible as a pass catcher. So Auburn, in kind of the craziness of all of that, uh, of Penn State going fast after a big passing play, just did not think because none of us thought that Brenton Strange was anything other than the guy lining up at left tackle, but 
he was able to break off of that. He just went right up the seam and 40 some odd yards later, Penn State found itself in the red zone on a drive that it ended up scoring on. So masterclass, Matt, like that was one of the, God, obviously we have seen better offensive performances in terms of the number of points that the team scored, but just having so many wrinkles and doing the stuff that, um, the stuff that you always do, but being able to execute it in a way that just looked really crisp and really effective and was a little bit better than usual, man, that was one hell of a performance by Penn State's offense. Can I keep going on that play? Because there's an entire other side of, of the offensive, uh, I'm not up, up the line, of the play that also affected why it went for so many yards. So, yeah, man, go ahead. If I think it was Marquise Wilson runs a midline screen. So on this play, uh, Mike Miranda snaps the ball to Clifford, and then Rasheed Walker, who's lined up as a left guard in this situation, and Mike Miranda at center, immediately just let the defensive lineman through. So you know Yurcich already knows. They're they're not going to know this guy's eligible. So he has the guts to run this play, knowing it's either 50-yard gain or 10-yard loss. And I love that. But because Marquise Wilson runs the screen— The corner has to stay, so the corner takes himself out of the play. So not only did Yursich scheme Bretton Strange open, he schemed him a 15-yard head start, which allows him, if he was just a bit faster to score, but instead to rumble for like 40-something yards. That part of the play is so underappreciated, and I didn't even notice it until I went back and watched it a ton of times, and that's going to be broken down, but... Not only does he scheme open, but it's the fact that he schemes him a head start that is so impressive to me. And and just huge, huge shout out to him for having the guts to call that. Because, again, that's a feast or famine play. And knowing that Auburn would not know what was happening is just such insane preparation by that entire offensive coaching staff. And, and that's something we have not seen for a long, long, long time. So... Highly yeah, recommend I, you check it out. You checked out the film study uh, tomorrow on the site where I break everything down um, in more detail. Shameless plug. I do not care. Penn State is 3-0. and um, But this <laughs> this was absolutely fantastic. And, and that play I'm going to be thinking about for such a long time. Yeah, I mean, what? Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned the screen element of that because, again, that was Penn State doing something that it had done all game. Penn State had success with its screen game. And when they showed Auburn in that split second, we're going to make it look like we're calling a screen. Auburn went, well, obviously they're going to do that because they have been doing that all night. So again, it's just those little touches. It's those little details. And you called it a big play or or feast or famine play, Matt. And I'm glad you did that because one thing that I thought Auburn did an exceptionally good job of was preventing those kinds of really huge gains for Penn state. Like you look at uh, their biggest passing plays. They were bait. They were all too tight ends. Jahan Dotson's longest reception was 22 yards. If I told you with Penn state's emphasis on big plays that Jahan Dotson's biggest play well, yeah, his biggest play as both a quarterback and as a receiver, funny enough, both went for 22 yards. 
you probably wouldn't believe me that Penn State's offense had that much success, but they were able to get 40 yards on that one from Strange. They were able to get 37 uh, on Theo Johnson's big game. They were able to get uh, an 18-yard game through the air uh, from John Lovett on his one reception and 22 yards. That play also ruled. I wish I broke that one down more, but there was just no room for it in the film study. Maybe I'll do a second one, but Lovett only got three carries. But, man, did he make the most of it. He was awesome. We'll, we'll talk again. We'll, we'll talk about him in a second, but I've, I have a gut feeling we're going to see more of him just because of what he brings Penn State's offense. But Penn, also Auburn, kudos to the staff real quick for him wearing number 10 um, at practice this week. And everybody was like, oh, it's Bo Nix's number. He's running like Bo Nix. And then he showed up to the game wearing number 10 this week. That was so funny. That's that was so good. good by Franklin and all them. That's so good. But just generally, that passing game from Penn State, like I thought the receivers did very good jobs getting open. They did a very good job, job putting themselves in positions to succeed. And Sean Clifford made the most of them. Again, we're going to talk about Clifford uh, a little bit later just because I think he deserves kind of his own breakout from this. Uh, I loved how all three wide receivers – you know, Strange and Johnson both came uh, – not wide receivers, tight ends – came in with the reputations of being big tight, uh, big wide receivers. Uh, Tyler Warren, as we all know uh, from his uh, Wildcat exploits, um, was a quarterback in high school. Uh, but the thing that just impressed me the most about all that was all three of them really took a lot of joy in just bringing – you know, they didn't win every time as blockers. They took a lot of pride in giving some nastiness to Auburn's defense whenever they had the opportunity. There was one moment, uh, go back and look for this play. Three minutes and five seconds left in the second quarter, everyone. Tyler Warren um, blocks a guy and keeps blocking him and keeps blocking him and like literally does a drag route but as a blocker and then the play ends and he keeps blocking him and then just throws the guy to the ground. Like it was, it was so much fun watching the, those little elements of Penn state's offense that we just have not seen recently become such an important part. Like I went that like one thing I remember was when I talked to our pal Kyle Boone uh, of, uh, CBS Sports and Pistols firing. He said that Mike Yersich didn't really use his tight ends at Oklahoma State. Well, he now has three tight ends and he's using all of them in really fun and creative ways. Um, and then, of course, they have John Dotson, who, Matt, I think the thing that impressed me the most about this game, I felt like whenever Jahan Dotson's number was called, like he didn't have his most productive game, 10 receptions. 78 yards, one score. He had a very, very good game. He didn't have, you know, the crazy receiving yard numbers. But I felt like considering what Auburn was giving Penn State, Jahan Dotson, Sean Clifford, and Mike Yurcich all went cool. And just, he kept taking it. I was... He's pro- he's had more prolific performances in a Penn State shirt, but I think that was the most impressed that I have been by the totality of a Penn State's wide receivers performance, maybe since Allen Robinson was here. Uh, two quick things. I just sent you a clip of a block by Brenton Strange, and I oh, want you I'm to, watch, to it. watch it. And, and then feel free to cut me off with your reaction because it's, it's really funny. Um, and on the Jahan Dotson point, 
Um, any game Jahan Dotson gets the ball double digits is a great game. I don't care if he has four receiving yards because if you're a defense, priority one, two, three, four, five is stopping Jahan Dotson from getting the ball. And he got it 10 times, um, not even including the end around they did, which would make it 11. Oh, my. Um, yeah. Do you want to give your thoughts on that block Oof. by Brenton Strange? Brenton Strange, do not, do not try to put a quarterback against that man. That's so mean. That's my favorite block. Oh, wait, that might that be might a linebacker. Be... That was a linebacker. Good God. Yeah, that was no joke. That That's that's play one in the film study um, <laughs> this week. That that play is ridiculous. Um, but no, yeah, J- stopping Jahan is, you know, every team's most important job. And he got the ball 10 times as a, as a pass catcher and once on, a, on an end around that just didn't work, which is a bummer. Um, so the, I, I'd agree. This might have been the best performance we've seen um, from an individual receiver as a whole. Like I know KJ had the big play against Ohio State a couple years ago, but when you look at the sum of everything, this game was insane for Jahan. And I don't know where he's going to get drafted. I know um, NFL scouts aren't the smartest people, which is why Zach Wilson went two over Justin Fields. Um, And I feel like they're going to look at Jahan's numbers and he probably won't test as well as a lot of other first round grade receivers, but he's going to play like a decade in the NFL and be a very productive player. And it's going to be awesome. Um, So just so happy for Jahan. I I actually played against Jahan. He was a freshman when I was a senior um, in the, um, oh, what was the league called back then? It's the Epic League now, the Eastern Pennsylvania Inter-Athletics Conference, whatever it is. I'm not at high school too long. Um, but I remember Jahan and then Saquon were two people I played against. We were like, yeah, these kids might be really good. And then they just continued to back it up as they played their college careers. So I'm always going to be a huge Jahan Dotson fan, but the fact that he got the ball and got open 10 times is, is absolutely insane and a big testament to him and, uh, Taylor Stubblefield. So good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, this isn't exactly controversial or anything like that it's kind of saying the obvious but like if you go back and watch his first touchdown he's not supposed to be in the area where he catches that touchdown what Penn State did was they had uh two guys I believe it was Theo Johnson and Keandre Lambert Smith they just ran a little mesh route they were trying to you know, kind of just the telltale sign of is this defense in zone or is it in man? They end up doing that. They see that they're in zone. Uh, and what ends up happening from there is there are three Auburn defenders in that little area of space that Dotson runs into versus two Penn State receivers, uh, Theo Johnson and uh, Parker Washington. Washington goes and just they, fills a little bit of space and one defender goes with him. Johnson uses the fact that one, he just made a big passing play and two, like he's a power forward and is more or less just standing at the goal line and two Auburn defenders go, Oh hell, we got to get to him. They run to him and they just put this acre of space there. And Jahan Dotson is smart enough and has the awareness to go right into that corner. That's how he gets wide open because one, this stuff that was supposed to happen in that play Auburn took away, but the thing they didn't consider is Jahan Dotson's a very smart wide receiver. Like uh, you talked about how he might not test great, Matt. I think he's going to run a really good time. I think he's going to put up really good agility numbers, really good jumping numbers, pretty good strength numbers, those sorts of things. And everyone's going to be a little bit surprised because 
he's the kind of guy who's just his technique as a receiver and his intelligence as a receiver are so exceptional that he never has to rely on that stuff. And you see it in little moments like that. And then you see it in moments, you know, not even that, but uh, just the level of threat that he is, the play where he caught the ball uh, behind the line of scrimmage and then threw it to a Tyler Warren. Like I turned to the person at the bar next to me and straight up said, that's a, that's a double pass. The second that Clifford turned around and threw it back, I noticed this, but Auburn had nine guys either at the line of scrimmage or either at the line of scrimmage or in the second level of their defense, just like from Penn State's right tackle over to the short side of the field. Every single one of those guys had their eyes on Jahan Dotson. If it wasn't for the fact that there was a single high, one, a single high safety and two, you know, Dotson didn't throw a perfect pass, which no shock. Warren could have moonwalked into the end zone. Like everyone on Auburn's defense was just so afraid of him that that's what their focus was on. And it's a testament to him. Again, it's a testament to Mike Yurcich. We're going to say that over and over that he knew that and was able to take advantage of that. And it's a testament to just how this offense worked as a whole, that they were able to get play, get their most dangerous player in position to make plays, even though Auburn was straight up saying, we're not going to let you make plays. Uh, One negative that I negative. Wait, real quick. Go ahead. Um, you talked about Dotson uh, on his touchdown. That's working to find or working yep. to find space, or in simple terms, go where they ain't. Yep. And that's a culture thing because earlier in the game, when Clifford had so much time in the pocket, he probably could have grilled hot dogs and served them to like 90 people. He, Andre Lambert Smith, worked his way back and set himself up just beyond the sticks, and Clifford hit him. And that play probably took seven, eight, nine seconds to develop, and the receivers just never stopped working to find space so that's a culture thing and and that's a lot of credit to Stubblefield who I think has been an absolute home run hire um, considering what it looked like when it happened I don't think he was anybody's first choice especially in the fan base but he's done a great job and and also two guys like Jahan Dotson and Cam Sullivan Brown and, and Daniel George to build that culture in that room to where you always want to keep working and that you never give up on a play. So kudos to all those guys. The the one kind of negative that I think I'll touch on was the rushing game. Um, But what I'll say is this one, I think Auburn's defensive front, just like their front seven just battled all night. Um, I think they made it a point to make it hard on Penn state's rushing attack and, you know, kudos to them for them. That, um, I do, I was very impressed if you go back and watch Noah Kane's touchdown run. They, Penn State's front emphatically won that battle. And it was something that, you know, they didn't do that all game, but doing it in that moment was very impressive. Uh, and then the other things were, one, Sean Clifford was working, throwing the ball. There was really no point to take that out of his hands, I don't think. Uh, and then two, I don't know what happened with Kayvon Lee, if he got auto-benched after his fumble, if, you know, he wasn't feel, you know, maybe he got banged up, something like that. But Penn State wasn't really going for a ton. You, you know, they were really only trusting Kane to run the ball. Um, having said that, I was really impressed with a couple of flashes we saw out of John Lovett. I think, uh, Matt, if you want to speak to him a little bit and just what he brings Penn State's offense. But I... 
what I'll say is I didn't love what I saw out of Penn State's rushing attack, uh, but I don't feel it's like a season-changing problem or anything like that. No, it's it's not a season-changing problem. This was still a very balanced offense um, to the point where they threw 33 passes and they rushed 33 times. Um, that's very one of them was PJ Mustafer. So take that for what it's worth. Woo. It wasn't complete. It wasn't completely. Either. That was a that was a first down. That was. I thought PJ deserves that. PJ yeah. deserves the first down. He's awesome. He's so fun. Good for PJ. Um, but also those reps. I, I don't want to talk about the reps at all because everything. Um, it's already been said uh, by, I'm sure, people around you. Um, but as for John Lovett, it's hard to tell really what he's going to bring to the table. It seems like he's, you know, running back number three. Uh, I think Kayvon Lee was auto-benched um, with the fumble issue because when you have as many good backs as Penn State has, uh, you can auto-bench somebody and not worry about a drop in production. Um, so hopefully Kayvon Lee can get that all worked out here this week. Um, but Lovett had something fun. I mean... He was productive at Baylor. Um, is he a guy who is going to give you, you know, more than max 10 touches a game? No. But if he can be productive on his touches, that's huge. That's great. Um, so I'm happy he's available now. I'm excited to see what they have in store. Um, it feels like everything he could do, Devin Ford could probably do. But I guess Lobbett's the more experienced guy and, and, and earned the job in camp. So we'll see what happens going forward. But again, I said this in our Slack earlier. It doesn't feel like Yursich is unafraid to use every guy available to him. And that's a big criticism I have of a lot of college coaches. It's like you have 85 scholarships. Let's say 43 of those are going to offensive players. If they're ready, use them. And it feels like that's what Yursich is willing to do. So I'm excited about that aspect of his offense. And hopefully uh, as things begin to not tighten up, but as the playbook begins to solidify in who is where and who fits best in what role, hopefully we see more and more of him and and really he can have a strong final season of college football. Yeah, I think what he does as a pass catcher, what he does as a change of pace guy works really well with Kane and with Lee. And it becomes a little bit more difficult to, um, you know, kind of focus on Noah Kane exclusively when, you know, he's just not out there as much. And you can fold in a little bit more Lovett, a little bit more Ford, a little bit more uh, Lee, who just, you know, has the issue of he runs too violently sometimes, which is uh, a fun issue to have. But yeah, I'm not too worried about the rushing attack. I mean, this week is, uh, I think this week against Villanova is going to be a good chance to get them going. But, you know, we'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, Defense, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, They did a lot of bending. Matt, they allowed 367 total yards. Auburn was 10 for 17 uh, on third downs. Uh, they had 24 first downs to Penn State's 22. What I think I'll say is that I think Auburn is just really, really good at running the football in a variety of ways. And that's going to cause everyone who is in Alabama or Georgia problems. Um, I thought Bo Nix did enough to win that game. I thought the receivers were the bigger problem uh, for Auburn and their passing attack. But I thought he was fine. And I, But having said all of that, I'm not too terribly worried about Penn State's defense. Um, other than, you know, I'd like to see them make – 
you know, the kind of game-changing play that could have been Brandon Smith's potential pick six or, uh, you know, falling on one of the times Auburn put it on the deck, that sort of thing. I'm a bit worried. Um, okay. For a lot of different reasons. Um, I don't love the the no picks of Bo Nix. Um, I don't love the fact that he felt confident the whole game, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, they held him to five yards, you know, per attempt. That's that's fantastic. That's really good. Um, but still, I don't love that this game was close because I did not think this game would be close. Um, and then probably a bigger concern for me is, so the, the official box score has um, Auburn with 40 carries for 182 yards and a 4.6 yards per carry. I think that's that's not exactly accurate. They had the the, the team is registered with a two-yard loss. I have no idea what that could be from. And Kobe Hudson had the 10-yard uh, loss on the fumble. Um, so realistically, if you go with their top three runners, so that's Tank Bigsby, yeah, excuse me, Tank Bigsby, uh, Jarquez Hunter, and Bo Nix, it totaled 38 carries for 194 yards, which is a 5.1 average. And anytime you're allowing more yards on a run than you are on a pass, I think that's a problem. The Big Ten has evolved a lot. This is a running back league. Iowa is a running back team. Ohio State is a running back team. They have to figure this out up front. This hasn't been a problem for Pry pretty much ever, but it feels like a problem now, which makes me nervous. So I hope, please, Hakeem Beeman, please be available going forward. This team needs you big time, but I don't love that. Realistically, this Auburn offense ran on average for more yards than they threw. And, and that's not a place that I want to see Penn State be in as we get into October here in the next few weeks. So I don't think you're wrong. I think that is a very fair way of looking at it. Um, but what I will say is I think that Auburn has, you know, they have the best stable of running backs that I, or best running game, I'll say. Uh, there's no balance to what Wisconsin tried to do. Um, there is, you know, so of, yeah, of Penn State's first three games, I think Auburn has the best rushing attack. And I think that is something that bugged Penn State a bit. It provided some good wording opportunities. Um, I think that they were definitely lucky that there were times where I thought Auburn could have run the football and really done some good stuff, and they opted not to. The two that stick out for me uh, was – on fourth and one at the very beginning of the fourth quarter, they opted for a field goal from on the Penn state 26. I thought they probably could have picked up one there. Uh, and then there was uh, the fourth and goal on Penn state's two uh, for whatever reason, Auburn decided to call the pass interference play. Um, and that didn't go particularly well for them. So looking just at that stuff, I think they got fortunate that way. I will say that, but what I'll also say is that Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter are both, or Jarquez Hunter, apologies, are both very, very, very good running backs. Um, I think the way that Auburn gets them, gets Hunt, got Hunter in space, 
was something that really provided Penn State some issues when he was able to get ahead of steam. I think Bigsby is just so good at finding a tiny little bit of space and attacking it. I think that there that that's something to work on. I think that's something that how do I want to phrase this? I think that's something that they'll be able to they'll be fine with. And considering Penn State's secondary, I think fine is going to work here. Uh, I wasn't too terribly worried about uh, not picking off Bo Nix just because I think that Auburn did, uh, you know, they were never really trying to threaten Penn State in the passing game. They were, you know, those two really good back shoulder throws on uh, seam routes that Nix threw. But otherwise, he had an okay game. Like, like I said, he didn't play good, but he played good enough to win. Um there were some moments where Auburn's receivers just showed that they didn't weren't really up for it. I, I think this is still a defense that is a work in progress, Matt. But I also think that there have been enough flashes that we can feel pretty good about the direction it's trending. I mean, they, despite the fact that they allowed as many yards as they did, allowing 20 points to Auburn, I think is probably right around what most people would have expected. Yeah, um, I will touch on one thing real quick that I thought a lot about. Penn State didn't really try to get to Bo Nix. It seemed like Brent Pry knows he can bet on this secondary, um, which isn't exactly something we've been able to say for a long time. Um, and I like the fact that they can get away with that. Still, this was the kind of game where I think if you did rush the passer a bit more, you could have kept this offense off balance and you could have won by a lot. I, I still think this game should have been won by Penn State by more than it was. I think this should have been a three-score win um, if they if they pl- if they showed everything they have. Let's put it that way. Um, but this defense still has a way to go. You're right. I, I, I they're in a fine spot. But again, if the Big Ten is as open as we think it is this year. I think you have to leave no doubt against any opponent, leave no doubt. And I'm not confident this defense did that. Um, but also, maybe this is a similar situation to your sitch in that you're still trying to keep some stuff hidden. I don't know if that's the same thing with a guy in Brenton Pry who's been here for like close to a decade at this point. Um, but my concerns are going to linger, I think until I see them truly dominate an opponent the way I think they're capable of, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I'll say is that they had they – pro, I, I, they probably thought the only way that Knicks could beat them is if he was able to get big gains with his feet. Um, and between that and just the respect that they obviously had – for uh, Auburn's running backs. Like, I'll go back and look. My suspicion is that Penn State always had one or two dudes just right in the box. But having said that, there was plenty of moments that I I was really impressed by with Penn State's defense. Uh, particular, particularly in the first half, I thought uh, Brandon Smith played a pretty good game. I think he did a good, you know, he got hit for that 15-yard on sportsman-like penalty, uh, which was a really good Honestly, like a really good sell job by Knicks. Um, I think otherwise, we got to see a bit of his instincts. We got to see his ability to fly around. 
didn't always lead to like him making game changing plays or anything, but just a really nice solid game led him getting named uh big 10 defense player of the week, 10 tackles, uh, six solo Jesse Lukita, uh, brought some real intensity and physicality to the early part of that game. The one guy I want to shout out, though, is Joey Porter Jr. Um, I think that one sequence that stuck out to me in a really big way was right after, you know, he ends up getting hurtled, uh, you know, late in the game, Auburn, you know, it's just that little opening where you are demanding guys respond. Right after that, I, I'm pulling it up right now. Tank Biggs, uh, Bo Nix has Sh- uh, Shedrick Jackson, uh, who spun street Castro fields around, uh, overthrows him. Actually, uh, one thing to mention with that was this was also right after it looked like Joey Porter Jr. won the football game. It looked like he won it with a strip and run the other way, score a touchdown. At just the high of that, followed by the low of getting hurdled, You, there are kids who shut down after that. And after that next play where Bo Nix overthrows Shedrick Jackson, Joey Porter Jr. gets right in there. Tank Bigsby runs at him, and he brings the wood. He fights and takes him down and does not let him gain extra yardage. Very next play, Knicks uh, completes a pass to his big tight end, John Samuel Schenker. Um, and Porter Jr. is just right in there again, getting a little nasty, getting a little, you know, showing that fighting spirit that you want to see out of a defensive player. And really impressive game for him, too. It was just a really good game for Penn State that I think, despite the fact that the referees weren't exactly calling uh, it, a fair game. I thought they did a good job of battling and competing and um, getting bailed out a little bit by how Auburn called the game. Uh, but you can only play the hand you're dealt, and I think they were dealt a really good hand. Um, let's see. I think it's time we talk Sean Clifford, Matt. Um, I would love to. He is playing at a level that I straight up did not think he had in him. And I want to get that out of the way first. I want to get your, give you a chance to respond. But I didn't think Sean Clifford had this kind of football game in him where he spoke a lot about being the most confident quarterback in the country. He backed that up in a really big way in a bunch of big moments on Saturday night. He looks like he understands an offense on a level we haven't seen in, in a while, um, especially out of Sean Clifford. I think he understood the Ronnie offense pretty well, but this seems like it's it's on a whole different plane. Um, the throws he's making, granted, are short routes, not a ton of intermediate, but the short routes are setting up big plays. Like if you go back, not so much this game because you didn't really need them. Um, also, you don't need to put the ball, you know, 40 yards in the air for a big play. You can put it eight yards and then let your athletes do the work or let the scheme do the work, which I think is a philosophy Yursich has, which I really like because I think you can out-athlete a lot of teams at the college level. Um, but I think what Clifford is doing right now is what we've been building to for a long time, whether we realize it or not, just because of how often he's had to learn. He's been here five years 
this is OC number four. Like we talk a lot about three in three years. He was he was a Moorhead guy. He Moorhead was his true freshman season when he redshirted. Um, so he's learned a lot. So he knows how to learn an offense and just credit to him, man. He looked like he had the time of his life after that game. He understands what he's doing. Yersic understands what he's good at. And that is a match made in heaven. Um, and with how, again, how vulnerable the Big Ten looks this year, man, if they can keep this thing going and if they keep, keep their confidence high, the sky's the limit. And, and I'm so, so intrigued to see what else is in uh, the bag of tricks because I know there's more. Um, but right now, really, mm-hmm. all I can say about Sean Clifford is he knows what he's doing. And that's more than I think. 99.9% of division one quarterbacks can say. Um, so that's, a, that's a great spot to be in. Yeah, I know. I think that's a, that's a really fair, fair, like thing to mention. I mean, he's, he's a guy who seemed to really struggle with understanding his limitations last year. I mean, the year before that he had some of that in him, um, but it wasn't nearly as bad because like you said, I think he had just a, a, a bit of a, an exponentially better grip on what he needed to do and the guys who were around him. Um, This year, he looks like a guy who knows what he has to do, who knows what he can and cannot do, and is not being asked to do anything that is too far outside of the realm of what he is capable of of doing you're going y'all are going to see this in the uh sean clifford chart that nick put out but mike yursich is not asking him to do a lot of stuff where he's really uncomfortable a lot of the work that he is doing a lot of stuff near and around the line of scrimmage a lot of stuff within we'll say 15 yards of the line of scrimmage and a lot of stuff to the sidelines so if he misses a throw it is a throw that is going out of bounds he's working the middle of the field a bit uh nick doesn't have the specifics there but my guess is it's going to be a lot of stuff where a guy is able to get open and they know by design they're going to get open yeah it's going to lead to an 8 10 12 yard game but that's all they want out of it and they haven't really been saying sean go out there and let it rip i mean I have this up right now. One, two, three, four, five, six. He's thrown 10 passes of 30 or more, about 10 passes, maybe it's 11 or 12, of 30 or more yards this season. Or uh, 30 or more yards that he's attempted this season. So it's not is like... That, is that through the air or is that like... I, I'm pretty sure that's through the air. Okay, okay. I mean like, not like screen passes that went for big gains, but that Correct. could be too. Okay, Correct. all right. So he's on those passes, three of his incompletions were all balls that were based, that just went out of bounds. Three incompletions were just right in the middle of the field. I'm going to guess those were design shots, you know, something like that, really bad intentional grounding call. Two completions, a third completion for a touchdown, and that pick that he threw that again wasn't really a pick. So it's a lot, he is being put in positions to succeed. But even having said that, Matt, you look at stuff like the times where Auburn was bearing down on him and he had to break the pocket and he had to, you know, get his wits about him. 
he wasn't doing the thing where at that first sign of pressure, it's, oh, hell, I got to get out of here. He's getting the football. He's getting out of the pocket. He's avoiding that pressure, buying himself an extra second and a half. And then he's just throwing the ball. And he's just put it, seeing that he has guys who are in positions to succeed and guys trust him off of that. And that's probably the biggest difference with Clifford for me. He just seems completely and totally calm in the face of the chaos that comes with playing quarterback in high-level college football. And I think a big part of that is because the offensive line has been so good. They haven't been great in the run game, but protecting the quarterback is, you know, priority one for any offense. And, you know, credit to Eric Wilson and, and Rasheed Walker and a lot of these other guys. They're not, not, it's not just like the, the established guys who are playing really well. Juice Scruggs is playing really well. Mike Moran is a good center. I, I just really like where things are at right now for Clifford. And I only see them going up from here so I'm, I'm very intrigued yeah so there's really not much more i can say on the topic because he's just been so bo- it's been boringly good and that's awesome that's awesome that's really great that's that's all you can ask for out of sean clifford at this stage of his career be be boring but be efficient and and that'll win you a lot of football games yeah i mean the uh, one thing i will say is i think he probably has more weapons than he's had at any point. I mean, Noah Kane, Kayvon Lee, John Lovett as your main running backs. And then three, he, he very obviously trusts three receivers in Jahan Dotson, Parker Washington, and Keandre Lambert-Smith. If you want to say two and a half with Lambert-Smith working towards it, that I think that's fair. Uh, but it does seem like he and Clifford are building a nice little rapport. And then he has three tight ends who all just are such weird football players that they're going to present matchup opportunities. So he has all this at his disposal and he's taken advantage of it. And Matt, when we're handing out game balls, the first one has to go to Sean Clifford, correct? Uh, absolutely. Sean Clifford, no doubt. And then who are your other game balls going to? Um, do I have to I never I haven't been on a on a recap pod in a while. Do I have to limit it to one per side of the ball? We'll we'll say Sean Clifford gets the game ball and then it, give one offense and one defense. Go ahead. Okay, I'm giving one special teams too. Jordan Stout, four punts, 200 yards, 50-yard average. My king. Oh, big shout-out to him. He was so good. He gets a game ball. Uh, Derek Tangelo gets a game ball. He is such a great pickup. I think this Auburn team runs for even more without Tangelo, and he recovered the fumble. Um, do you see the tweet of the uh, of the Russian broadcast? Um, their call of it. It's very funny. It's very funny. Um, so he gets a game ball from me. Um, and I don't want to go with Jahan, even though he absolutely deserves one. Um, but I feel like you're going to go with Jahan, so I'm trying to mix it up a little bit. I'll go with all three tight ends get a game ball from me because they all played yes, outstanding yes. football and they all did what they were asked to do. And, and that's that's huge for for a position that deep. Um, that usually sees about one guy get the bulk of the snaps for all three of them to prove they can handle a big role is huge. So th- those are my game balls for the week. Uh, my offensive one, yeah, I'll give it to uh, – I will give it to Jahan Dotson. I mean, just wonderful, wonderful football player. Uh, with, the, with the next one going to, going to Mike Yersich, I think this was the game where he really announced himself as like, this is what my Penn State offense is going to be, and like I'm excited to see the direction that goes in. Uh, and then on defense, I'm going to give it to Daquan Hardy. Uh, for not giving Auburn what they wanted when they were hunting for a pass interference on um, the last play of that one drive with the balls on the field. Like I'm 
in retrospect, as someone who likes football, I was so goddamn mad that they called that play. Like, I, I know Brian Harson said, <laughs> oh, he has, he has five things he could do there. And he's sort of like, no, don't put a goal line fade in in that situation. Just run the damn ball, Bobo. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll, I'll go in uh, that direction. Uh, we're going to skip Big Ten chat this week. And we'll just close, Matt, by going, like, how are we feeling? Like, this feels like we said it at the top of the pod it feels like something special is happening um with this Penn State football team I say that with total acknowledgement that they have a uh, I don't think they have Nova's a hard game but I think Nova's going to come in and you know put up a fight that a lot of FCS teams wouldn't uh Indiana is going to come in wanting to get Penn State for a second year in a row. And then it's heading to Kinnick for what could be a preview of the Big Ten championship game. So there's still a lot ahead of them. Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State are all ahead of them. But where do we generally sit right now on this Penn State football team? Again, unabashed homer. I have no shame to admit it. I think they're still being wildly disrespected with the number six ranking. Um, I, I Name a team with a better resume. Uh, especially if Wisconsin beats Notre Dame, which I think they will do this week, I think that win has to be looked at so much higher um, because Wisconsin's a good team. I think that's the best defense Penn State's going to see all year. Um, but, but going back to the rankings thing, um, are you impressed with Oklahoma, Bill, um, with their close wins no. against uh, Tulane and Nebraska? O- Oklahoma, Oklahoma. They're going to lose this week. They're going to lose this week to West Virginia. They need it. to send a fruit basket to every single NFL draft prognosticator who went, oh, you know what we need to do? We need to f- – there's no definite QB1 in the next draft class. Uh, let's just anoint Spencer Rattler, that guy. And, like, he's, an, he, he's a good football player, but I think there is this expectation that he was going to light the world on fire this year and, like – Man, I'm not feeling this Oklahoma team. Like, I always think Oklahoma is fraudulent. That's neither here nor there. But, like, I really feel that right now. Yeah. And then Iowa. I know I said on the uh, on the What's It Called pod, uh, preview pod, that if Iowa scored three touchdowns offensively, I wouldn't be worried. Uh, they scored four, and that was against Kent State. So I lied because I am worried about this Iowa offense. I do not know what they do. I think this Iowa offense is capital B bad. Um, and again, Penn State will get a chance to prove it here in just a few weeks, but I am very curious to see exactly what Iowa is, because I do not think they're very good. And I think if that's going to be another low scoring game, um, but I'm not confident Iowa can move the football. So I, and I would probably put Penn State ahead of Iowa if I had an AP vote, um, because that Indiana win does not look that impressive anymore because it is September 20th at time of recording and Indiana has two losses already. Um, so that, that's kind of where I stand. I, I think the season's going to go pretty well going forward. Again, I'm not trying to get my hopes up because this team has a loss in there somewhere. But the longer you hold off without a, without getting that loss, the better and the more confident you're going to be as a team. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, the thing that I think I will say is that there are ways for this Penn State team to keep getting better. And 
that's what makes me so excited right now for how good they are and they are good right now. This is still week the third game they have played under a brand new offensive coordinator. This is the third game they've played with their star running back bouncing back from his second season ending injury and the guy that they were expecting to come in and provide a shot in the arm at running back only getting his first run out there. First game of, you know, third game of how they are using these tight ends. There is room for improvement here. Like Penn State has not played perfect football. They played good football and that's good football through three games. They can and should keep getting better. Um, they can and should. Well, can I won't def, I won't say sure should for sure, uh, just because I don't ever want to say should uh, unless you're playing like, you know, unless you're playing Alabama State or something like that. Win football games win basically every game in that schedule except for maybe that trip to Columbus, but that. We'll we'll talk about that when that time comes. I can see I can see the football ways this team gets better, but the one thing that I can't see them getting better at is the bond that they have, the sense of camaraderie they have, the sense of togetherness they have, because they have that right now. There is no improving on that when it doesn't seem like it can get any better. And that's something that gives me a lot of faith and a lot of confidence over these next couple of weeks when they play some pretty good football teams heading into the bye that, you know what, if there are mistakes, if there are learning opportunities, they are going to learn from them. They are going to flush them and they are going to get better because of them. So that's what I'm thinking. I mentioned at the top of the pod, I think about where this team was last year where it starts 0-5, where it has those embarrassing losses early on uh, to Nebraska and uh, its team of little crybabies to Maryland and its team that can really only do one thing but just destroyed Penn State doing that one thing. Uh, To Iowa, who absolutely clowned them and just how down and defeated that team looked and how the response this offseason top to bottom was that was not Penn State football. What we are going to do this season is come out and show you what Penn State football is. And through three games, this is the kind of team that James Franklin wants to see, these players want to see, and everyone listening to this podcast wants to see. And I don't know how you can't be excited knowing that. So I don't think things can be going much better right now, Matt. I mean, I how have you bought into Penn State being a playoff team, or do you think they are a team in a position to control their own destiny but they might not be able to ultimately do that because it's just too big of an ask. I try not to think about that um, because, again, I don't think that's the point of college okay. football. That's fair. Um, and, and, again, I like how people get mad at, like, the rankings. It's like, look, this is – college football is a TV show. Like, it, it's something for us to talk about with the rankings. Um, the rankings don't matter 
um, unless it's the actual final one. So just go out there and take care of business and things will work itself out. Um, nobody knows what any team is. This is this is such a weird season. And I really like the point Split Zone Duo made that this feels like what we expected 2020 to be because everything was thrown off um, on like a year long basis, not just like a six month basis. Like everything feels weird. Everybody seems shaky. Everybody seems vulnerable. Again, this te- I don't think this Penn State team is going to run the table. So I'm trying to keep the James Franklin approach of one game at a time. But um, I'll be honest with Villanova on the docket here in, in about four or five days. It's hard not to look ahead to Indiana or Iowa. Um, but I'm, I'm just trying to take it one game at a time and just enjoy it while I can. Because I missed hey, this last year. Hey, I, I really what, did miss this a lot last year. You know what the thing is, Matt? Like, I think it's really easy for anyone and everyone to say the nonsense uh, or to take the phrase want to know this week and have that be nonsense. You know what I mean? Like it's very easy for a football team to say, all we want to do is focus on this week. All we want to do is focus on this game, blah, 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 blah. And then get caught up in everything else that comes with it. This team feels like it believes that. It feels like there is just such a sense of every single person being in lockstep that while I generally agree with you, I try not to think about this team through the lens of the playoff or anything like that. I can't help but think about this team through the lens of what has James Franklin wanted to build? What has he tried to build in Happy Valley? And it's a team that plays hard. It's a team that plays a specific way. It is a team that plays together. And it is a team that looks at each week as a hurdle. And that at the end of jumping over each hurdle, you get to an endpoint. And there is no skipping one. There is no overlooking one. You have to run through each of them. And I feel like we are seeing that in this Penn State football team. So, We've gone really long this week. Um, I don't. Yeah, sorry, sorry we went so long. But this no, was, no, this was, this, fun it was to a big talk win. About. This is the kind of big win. Like, this is the kind of win that we've been wanting Penn State to have for a while. One of these wins where it's like they haven't had the kind of win that announces themselves on a national stage under the lights in a minute. Like the last whiteout game. The last whiteout game was that one against Michigan, against a Michigan team that I don't think anyone thought was particularly, like, superb. The time before that, it was Ohio State, where they ended up losing that game, and then they lost last year. They won a really – they survived a gross game in Camp Randall, and this is what we wanted to see. We wanted to see this Penn State team come out and beat up I don't want to say beat up, but like win a battle against Auburn. And they ended up doing that. And right now it feels like the sky's the limit for this team. So Matt, any final thoughts before I do the sign off? No, nothing for me. Um, Make sure to check out the site this week. we got some great stuff coming. Um, Like I said, the film study, Nick will have the passing chart. Um, Yeah, it should be some fun breakdowns uh, here in the next few days. So be sure to check that out at RoarLionsRoar.com. Yeah, I mean, I de- definitely do that. Uh, James Franklin, if you were able to get anyone from Halls to uh, take you up on the offer, um, can you send them in my direction? Because I can absolutely use one right now, buddy. Uh, but other than that, 
Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Like Matt said, make sure you keep reading and supporting the site. The best way to do that is to make sure you are going out and you're buying yourself a shirt or two from our store. Uh, make sure you are following us on all of our various social media channels, doing some more stuff on YouTube. Uh, so make sure you're checking us out on our YouTube page. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast. If you uh, want to go to whatever podcasting platform you use, we are on there. And if you go to Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. One last time, thank you for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Western Michigan 44, Pitt Panthers 41, extend Pat Narduzzi.